Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Love being with you guys, just worshiping with you. Thanks for letting me be here. Jesus told stories a lot, and some of my favorite stories were his shortest ones. And two of his shortest ones he said were, uh, that's perfect, bro. Um, Two of his shorter ones he said, the kingdom of God. It's like a man who was walking in a field and he found, finds a treasure that, and he goes and with all his joy sells everything that he has so that he could buy the field. And then he, very next story, the kingdom of God is like a merchant that found a pearl of great price. And he did the same thing. He went and sold everything he could have so that he could buy that pearl and have that treasure. And sometimes I just have to admit that I've just got to grow my value of the gospel. I've got to grow my value of the kingdom. And I hope that this morning will just be a time where we just fall more in love with Jesus because there's more of him than I think sometimes we glimpse. And what's amazing is 90% of the followers of Jesus Christ, 90% don't call North America or Europe home. 90%. And our our brothers and sisters in Christ that live in Asia and Africa, they they have so much to teach us about the value of the gospel and the way they see the gospel just can enrich our love. Over the last few months, I've just been praying that I would see more of Jesus. And there's been a few times when I, I looked at the Bible and I saw some of the things I just want to try to convey to you this week where I would just push the Bible away and I'd just be like, wow, Jesus is just so amazing. And I would just have to sit there and just take in just how amazing the gospel is. That it's a story. You you try to do this. A story that four-year-olds and 70-year-olds can understand that's true for all people in all places at all times. And that has so many facets that every worldview is redeemed through it. And I just want to just help you just, I I hope, just take take a step in just valuing Jesus in the gospel even more. This is a mentor of mine that uh, it's probably one of the most fruitful men that's ever walked the planet. He is so underwhelming to meet, such a humble man. But he's seen millions baptized in the movement that he started in East Asia. Millions. And he walked into my office one day and he said, Chris, and he, he had this Taiwanese accent. I wish I could uh, do it perfectly because it sounds so much wiser coming from him. He said, Chris, I'm just so tired of $10 salvation. And like... Brother Ying often did. He just stopped and just waited for me to ask, what do you mean, Ying? And he said, if I walked in this morning and I handed you a card and it had a $10 bill in it, you'd think, oh, wow, that's, that's great. I can go to Chipotle this afternoon. I can, I can uh, get, some, get some lunch and that's nice. Thanks. We're friends. But if I walked in and I handed you a card and it actually had a million dollars in it, a million dollars in it. Now, it's that exciting. You would, and, and, and we talked and you knew it was real. You'd get on the phone and you would call your friends and you would pay off all your debts and you would buy your mama a house and you would buy that sweet car. You'd buy two of them and you would just start giving gifts to tons of people and you would be so excited that you could not contain yourself. And then if I told you that every time you gave a gift, that person didn't just get that gift, they got a million dollars. And every time you gave something away, your account went back to a million. How exciting would that be? And he said, I long in my heart to have million dollar salvation, to value the gospel at a million, not at 10. And so I want to just talk to you a little bit this morning. I'll just give us the benefit of the doubt that maybe you don't have $10 salvation, but maybe we're 10 times 
more value in the gospel than a lot of people. And you got a $100 salvation. I hope that what we look at this morning can do this. That it can exponentially make you value Jesus and make you value the gospel even more to where we actually start to value the gospel at its true worth or even just start to approach what we can fathom on this earth as the true worth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I, I think to do this, we can learn a lot from our brother. You want me to just use a handheld? We're good. That we can just use, we can learn a lot from our brothers and sisters around the world. Any anthropology majors in the house? Wow. Okay. All of you. Wow. Yeah. All zero of you. Well, anthropologists, they categorize worldviews into three categories. And it's kind of like the primary colors, if you think about it. Every worldview is a mixture of these three. Nobody is purely one or the other, but cultures generally uh, are, are shaped around guilt innocence. Like a lot of America, this is probably our primary uh, worldview. The primary color in our, in, that tints our worldview in America is guilt innocence. Shame, honor is where most of the world lives. And then fear power is where about 500 million people. That's the primary way that they see the world. And so in a guilt innocence culture, it looks like this. When a lifeguard blows the whistle, what do you do? You're at a pool, it's crowded. The lifeguard blows the whistle. And in our culture, we stop what we're doing and we look around. And we either wonder if we're the one they're yelling at, if we're horsing around with each other. Or we find the guilty person and we're like, oh, that guy's guilty. And then we go on swimming, right? In a shame-honor culture, when the lifeguard blows the whistle, everybody just keeps on swimming because it would be dishonorable. It would be shameful to even think that you're disobeying the rules and to draw that kind of attention to yourself or your family that you would be a rule breaker. And in a fear-power culture, when the lifeguard blows the whistle, which usually they don't have swimming pools in a lot of fear-power cultures, but if the lifeguard blew the whistle, people would just go underwater. They would just be afraid. And they would just go underwater. Or how about a birthmark? In a guilt-innocence culture, a birthmark is just a birthmark. It's just like a scientific fact. But in a shame-honor culture, it might bring shame. It might actually be something that's shameful for you and for your family and, and might create a different value upon you in society's eyes. And in a fear-power culture, it might actually be an omen from the gods, something that the spiritual realm has given as a sign or a curse that is upon you, depending upon where it's located on your body. Now, I think that uh, maybe one more. In a guilt-innocence culture, when somebody offends you, you, you actually seek justice. If somebody does wrong, you go to court or you actually seek to restore. In a shame-honor culture, you, if, if, if you offend somebody, you might withdraw or you might even, even go and get revenge. We've heard of honor killings that take place in our world. When somebody dishonors your family in an honor-shame culture, you might do something pretty extreme to protect the honor of your family, or you might even withdraw. I was in a culture, a shame-honor culture in East Asia, and I give you permission to uncomfortably laugh at this sad story because it's funny and sad. But in this culture in the mountains of East Asia, one of the most offensive things you can do in this people group is actually to pass gas, to fart. And there was a, a young man that I started befriending in this people group. And uh, he actually, when he met his fiance's parents, he did the unthinkable. He had an upset stomach that day and he just let one that was just undeniable. And he was so embarrassed. And he knew that not only him, 
but his family and his village would wear the mark of shame for generations. Think of that pressure. And so this is the sad part is he actually went into the woods that night and ended his life rather than deal with the shame. He withdrew to give honor back to his family. That's an honor-shame culture. And in a fear-power culture, if, if you offend somebody, then you, you might try to do a ritual before the spirits, before the gods, to try to make things right. Are we starting to understand that there's different worldviews, and we probably live in a guilt-innocence worldview, but we're colored in these other ones. In fact, shame and honor is really entering into our society because guilt-innocence needs standards that are crystal clear, black and white. And as the standards in our culture begin to get murky, we start shifting into a more shame-honor culture. When I was a kid, if I did something stupid, maybe five people saw it. But last night, I feel like an old man. My son actually went to homecoming, his first dance, his first real date. Not really a date. They just met his friends at the dance, okay? But if he did something stupid at homecoming, if he just embarrassed himself, it would go completely viral, and shame would come upon him, and maybe not upon his whole family, because we don't really think that way, but shame honor is really entering into our worldview, and we're starting to see a little bit of orange in our worldview. I'd like you just to, just to participate a little bit. I'd like you to just share what is something that somebody did that you, you don't have to know them personally, but what is something that somebody did that just went viral and they'll probably never live it down? It went so viral, it was embarrassing or something stupid that they did, and it just went so viral on social media that they'll never live it down. Can you just talk to your neighbor and just see if you can identify one? All right, was it you? Was anybody, did anybody, what did anybody say? I went viral and I'm never going to live it down. Anybody in the house? I don't see any hands going up. That's good. That's good. But I hope that this morning we can take our view of the gospel and we can move it just from guilt innocence, the way you probably received the gospel, that went about like the way I received the gospel. When I was four years old, I held Bible bear's hand, this overstuffed bear that I wanted to pray to receive Jesus with in, in my church. And a children's church teacher had just gotten done saying, God has very clear standards of what is right and wrong, and you broke his laws. You've sinned. You've done wrong things. You've kind of committed crime. She didn't use that word, but that's kind of a judicial word for what we're saying. But Jesus paid the justice for your sins. He was the perfect substitute. It's like the judge left the chamber and came around and paid the penalty for your sin. And so you can be forgiven. And everything you've ever done, everything you're guilty for can be forgiven and you can be innocent. And I prayed to receive Jesus and that gospel is so true. So true. That's ours, right? How many of you would say you've, you understood the gospel somewhat in that way? Yeah, a lot of hands are going up because that's generally the way that we think about the gospel. I hope that as we talk through the way the rest of the world sees the gospel, that it's an experience similar to this. My dad is colorblind, and he sees the world about like this photo. But I want you to watch as people see in full color for the very first time. These glasses... <laughs> Actually, reverse color blindness. Can you imagine what that would be like? Any colorblind people in the house? We got a few back here. So, I hope as we look at the gospel that we can understand the unfathomable riches of Jesus. And that we can start to see in even more colors. We can start to understand how valuable this gospel is. And before we even talk about taking it to the nations, let's talk about how valuable it is. And is it worth? Is it worth it? 
And so let's talk a little bit. So let me just give you a preview. Guilt innocence is kind of where we live, and it's a verse for guilt innocence. It's the wages of sin is death. You deserve death. But the gift of, free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He paid the penalty for your sin. Shame honor is whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Jesus bore all the shame upon himself when he died a shameful death so that you could be honored. But honor is for you who believe. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. And then there's fear power. People are so aware of the spiritual world. And he says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is just a preview of what we're getting ready to hit. The gospel in full color is so much more beautiful sometimes than we comprehend. Now, in guilt innocence culture, we kind of, again, we think about justice. And our idea of justice is that justice is blind and that there are very clear laws and that we've broken the laws and there's very clear penalty. There's a sword and the wrong has to have an equal justice. And Jesus paid the justice for our wrong. And we've talked a lot about that one. I don't want to go too far into that. But this is the gospel in a guilt innocence culture. To our worldview, this is the gospel probably that we most understand. God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. But people messed up. People are sinful and guilty before God. Jesus Christ is the perfecter, uh, is the perfect sacrifice for your sins. You must receive Jesus as your personal Savior. Like that's so true. That's so beautiful. But it's just one color of the full color gospel that takes place. And so let's look at what we can learn from other parts of the world. And if you have friends that are from these other parts, I would just challenge you to think about how do I share the gospel in a way that speaks to their heart more clearly than it speaks to my own? In a shame-honor culture, people are more worried about where they stand in, in a group, in a family, and how their actions reflect upon the face of their father, the, replace, the face of their family, their city, their nationality. In fact, in Thailand, the word for shame is actually to rip one's face off that you lose face. How many of you have heard that before? You lose face in front of others. And not only do you lose face, but those in your network lose face. And what's really interesting in a shame on our culture is, is we have a gospel that deals with what we've done. But if we're full of shame, that's not just what we've done. That's who we are. We're worthless in a society. We, we aren't enough. Our value isn't great enough, but we're constantly putting a mask on. We're constantly putting a face on to protect and conceal. In Afghanistan, there's a, there's a saying. They say that to reveal an act that you did in secret is to commit a second act that is even worse. That it's better to have these secret sins that nobody knows about because to reveal them and lose face is actually the greater and the worst offense. And your Middle Eastern friends and your Eastern friends, they're going to understand the gospel so much more through a lens of honor and shame that I'm ashamed. Like I might have a good face in public and I might have a good last name. My father might be an honorable man the way that society judges him. But I know in secret and in silence that I am actually full of shameful acts. And that I actually am not worthy of the honor that I'm trying to earn. And Jesus comes into this culture and he actually grants honor. I want you just to hear some verses from the Bible that just speak to honor and shame. And, and honestly, more people, five billion people in our world live in this. 
type of mindset. And the Bible was written in an honor-shame culture. It's all over the Bible. Here's some verses. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame and has taken a seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess it for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, that they would be shamed. For they loved human honor more than the glory that comes from God. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord. I am your God and there is no other. And my people shall never again be put to shame. My salvation and my honor depend upon God. He is my mighty rock, my, my refuge. Can you imagine how somebody from this culture, when a, a woman that was bleeding and just, just brought dishonor upon herself for years, and just was seen as dirty and put out, and nobody wanted, they were, like kids were warned not to be around this woman because of her social status. And when she fought through the crowd and she touched the garment of Jesus and was healed, and he actually restored her to a place of honor. Do you hear how that speaks? Or the prodigal son story, when the youngest son goes out and he, he wastes his father's fortune, and he says to, to like himself, like, I could go back, and I, I am so unworthy, I could at least be a slave or a servant in my father's household. But the father actually runs to him and embraces him and welcomes him home as a son. And what's even more is somebody from the honor-shame culture, they'll see the older brother is dishonorable too, the brother that kept working because it was up to him to protect the honor of his family. And he selfishly didn't go after the younger brother. And he actually selfishly chose to make his name great rather than his father's name great. And he didn't go out and get his younger brother and bring him back before he dishonored the family. You see, the Bible's just rich. And the gospel is so beautiful that if you wear any shame, you might be sitting there and you might be innocent of anything you've done. And you might believe that God's taken the whiteboard eraser and wiped all those things off. But you might be thinking, but God, I've got an eating disorder. I've got some addictions. I am often tempted. I'm not enough. I am ashamed of who I am. Jesus Christ died to give you honor, to welcome you into the kingdom of God and make you an heir with him forever. Your weakness actually qualifies you and you can be fully yours. And the body of Christ is a place where you belong and you can be and he bestows honor upon you. That's our gospel. Not only my guilt made innocent, but my shame made honorable. Let me just skip that one for time. This is the shame, honor, gospel. Now, this might sound a little weird to your ears, but as I read this, I just want you to think, that's mine. That's mine. That's how awesome Jesus is. That he loves me this much, that the gospel is, is this deep. God values you and wants to honor you as his child. The God of the universe, King Jesus, wants to honor you as his child, his brother. People are shameful and dishonor God. I know I've done that. But Jesus bore all your shame upon himself and restores honor to you. You must give allegiance to King Jesus to enter God's family but your place is secure. That's our gospel. Now, fear power is a little bit different. There's a worldview where people 
are, are not so concerned about where they stand with each other. They're really concerned with where they stand with the spiritual world. And everything that happens, they interpret through the spiritual world. Like the rains that came last night and my house was this close to flooding. Literally, the waters came up. If it had come up that much more, my house would have been flooding. I just see that as a meteorological event. But somebody in a fear power culture would think that the gods were judging them and that they had, been, they had misstepped and that they didn't do their rituals right and they didn't keep the gods at bay or they didn't please the gods enough. And a fear power culture is an animistic culture, a tribal culture that's very aware of the spiritual powers that we too often cast aside in our very stoic Western world. And fear power cultures might look like this, tribal and just very aware of the spiritual realm. If you don't think that spiritual warfare is a real thing, then I just challenge you, go live amongst tribes and just see how that the spiritual enslavement happens in those people. It might also look like this, something a little more familiar, is people doing rituals to please God and just understand them. Your Hindu friends, many of them are much more ritualistic. It's not a, it's not a religion always that is from the heart and not a religion that, that people want to fervently believe. It's much more, I'm going to do things so that the gods stay at bay because I'm scared of the spiritual realm. And you know what Jesus did for, for these folks? is he became the power above all powers. 85% of Hindu background believers, it wasn't, it wasn't a guilt-innocence gospel or even a shame-honor gospel that brought him to Jesus. It was a power encounter with Jesus that shows that he's more powerful than the 300 million gods that they worship. They have no problem believing Jesus is God. They just believe he's a God until he actually shows himself more powerful to be the God above all gods. Now, I want you, this one's probably the most foreign from us, but this one is just as much ours. And I want you just to experience a story of a man coming to Christ that was gripped by the spirits. Oh, let me just hit this real quick. Sorry, that was such a buildup, you know? And then all of a sudden, like, Sully, what's it? If you don't think we have some of this in our culture, then why do we put pennies on Sully's statue? Somebody coming from this viewpoint would, would look at Sully and just think, oh, they're, they're making offerings so that their tests go well. Anybody ever had a pair of lucky underwear? I had my lucky red pair of underwear that I raced in all through high school, and sometimes I didn't wash it because it was so lucky. Or when you're watching an Aggie game, is there ever anything you do before that play if they really need a, a field goal for South Carolina? Like, we have a little bit of fear power in us. Not much, but there's at least a tent, right? Okay, now remember that big buildup? I want you to experience what it's like for somebody to be rescued from the enslavement of spirits. We have always lived in fear of the spirits. They control everything. What we eat, what we hunt, where we build our houses. The spirits watch us. We hear them in the wind. They control the night. They send centipedes like arrows to bite and kill us. They demand that we kill. When the centipede bit me, I knew the spirits were angry. 
my family slashed me to get rid of the bad blood. But the sickness grew bigger and bigger. So they killed a pig, but still the spirits were not satisfied. I was dying. Then they came. The Moy who believed the Creator's talk came through the night with medicine. They came through the night to save me. Why weren't they afraid of the darkness? Why didn't they fear the spirits? Each day for many months, I listened to the Creator's story. I saw my own sin. I was awestruck. The Creator's talk is powerful. Slowly, the truth began to dawn. Imagine what the story of the demoniac, that this demon-possessed man that cut himself and ran through the graveyards and broke chains, and then Jesus comes, and the next scene, he's dressed and in his right mind. Can you imagine what that speaks to him? Or a God that stands and says, peace be still to nature, and the storm obeys him. Or that the resurrection power over death itself is mine in Jesus. The chants that you heard in the background was actually the tribe kind of dancing and worshiping in their way that they have Jesus who is the power above all powers and they're no longer slaves to the spirits. That's our gospel. That's why the treasure in the field is worth everything that we have. It's so much more than just God erased your sin so that you can be with him your shame and replaced it with honor. He replaced your fear and gives you power so that no spirit can touch you because the almighty one doesn't just protect you but lives inside of you. The spirit of the universe, like the, the king of the universe lives inside of me. That's my gospel. That's who Jesus is. It's so much more valuable than I can imagine. The gospel Tuned to the ears. It's the same instrument, the same truths being played, but tuned to the ears of my tribal friends, of some of my Buddhist friends, sounds like this. God is all-powerful. 
all-powerful and offers you spiritual authority. Can you imagine how desperate someone would be for that? People fearfully live under the authority of evil and Satan. Jesus had power over nature, disease, and even triumphed over death. You must know Jesus to access his divine power, the resurrection power that is ours. That's our gospel. That's how beautiful Jesus is. Now, I want, I want your hearts to actually take a journey without me talking, to understand this. For, for me, I, I told you, I came to Christ when I was four years old, and I don't really know what it's like to be lost. And I did this exercise in my quiet time with God, and it just really helped me grasp what he's done for me and grasp the value of my salvation. And so I'd like to just, if you want to turn in your Bibles, you can, or you can look at the screen. But this is Psalm 23, one of the most familiar passages uh, that, that popular passages in the Bible. And it's beautiful. And it's got, it's got all three types of theology in it, all three types of worldview in it. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk, listen to the fear power. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then the honor shame. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my, my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so I, I'd like you to just pick the card up, the revive card on your chair and just turn it over to the blank side. And there's pens scattered out if you need a pen, but get something you can write with. And I would like you to write the anti-Psalm 23. Just to grasp if this, these unfathomable riches in Christ and God weren't yours, what would, you, what would your world be like? And so just to give you a glimpse, I, I want to show you mine. And I'm only going to give you a few minutes. I worked a little harder on mine. Uh, but I just want to give you an idea of what this is like, is I want you to write the anti-Psalm 23. What would it be like to live in total darkness but express some of the same thoughts? And so this is mine. I just want to read the first line to you, and then I'm going to turn you loose. It says, I am a sheep on my own, hungry, cold, thirsty, the very definition of torment. I walk to exhaustion in a desert where there is no good water. So I just want you to just... Think about what lostness would be like through the lens of Psalm 23. And I want you to write the exact opposite of it. And just spend a few minutes in silence. And just, just take some time. And, and you can look at the screens and just write line by line what the exact opposite of this would be. What life without a relationship with God would be like. Life in lostness. Realizing that this is the condition of many of your neighbors. But it's also the condition of entire people groups where no one worships Jesus. So just take a few minutes and just write the anti-Psalm 23. All right, I just want to encourage you, spend some time with Jesus this week. Don't just spend time in the Word, but spend time with Jesus in the Word. And just finish your, your anti-Psalm 23 and look at that and just value the gospel. Just be like, wow, God, you've done so much for me. And just let it sink in the difference your life has from lostness. I want to finish mine for you. This is, this is how your lost friends live. This is how people, people groups, entire people groups in this world live. 
I'm a sheep on my own, hungry, cold, thirsty, the very definition of torment. I walk to exhaustion in a desert where there is no good water. My soul, my emotional and mental health are deteriorating. I don't know what to do, where to go. There has to be something more. I am in the dark valley and the shadow of death is upon me. Evil predators are inches from me. I'm alone, vulnerable, without protection. My anxiety over my enemies keeps me from eating. I am a disgrace of a sheep. My cup is empty and cracked. Surely destruction and curses will follow me all the days of my life. It is only a matter of time before I am devoured. Obviously, that's poetic language, and none of your friends are walking around saying it's only a matter of time before I am a sheep that is devoured. But this is a picture of the worldview without Christ, and I hope it helps us grasp the incredible gospel all the more. And so when we say we believe in the gospel, I hope that we can say, man, I believe in something so much more than just that my sins are forgiven. But my right standing before the Lord, that I am an honorable son or daughter of the king, and I have power over the spiritual realm, that Jesus actually protects me and embodies me, and that his spiritual power is mine. That's what we believe. And that's why Jesus says this, just what we talked about last week. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then the sweet part, and remember I'm with you always to the end of the age. But Jesus didn't say this just because he wants you to scurry around and and work hard for him. He says this because he is so precious and people are so desperate without him that he wants them to worship him. He wants to heal the very damage that sin has done to their heart in different ways. And what's so beautiful is one life, one story, one act upon the cross is so deep, so beautiful, so full color in spectrum that every worldview is healed and welcomed into the kingdom of God. That every tongue and tribe and nation makes sense of the gospel. And God says, bring all diversity around me because I am the only one that is so awesome that they all can worship me as one. And so upon this command and upon the foundation that our gospel is incredible and that people are dying to know it, without any flowery speech and with all joy and freedom, I just want to ask you, would you just pray to the God of this gospel, the God who longs for every tongue and tribe and nation to worship him and who will do it? Would you just pray to him and just ask him, God, do you want me to change my plans? Do you want me to walk away from this treasure in the field and sell everything I have that I might have this treasure and that others might have it. And I want you to just pray, knowing God's a good God that gives good gifts. But have you actually asked him, God, I place myself in your hands. Do you want me to change my address for the sake of the gospel going forth? Do you want me to change my plans that more people groups, that more people that don't understand who Jesus is might know him? I value the gospel at that level. And I just come before you, God, just open and just ask you, speak to my heart if that is what you have for me. I just ask you to pray that here in just a minute. Here's just a couple next steps that you can take. We'll talk about this at the end, but this Thursday, there's just a night where we're just gonna pray and we're just gonna gather and just talk about God's heart for the nations and just pray for the nations. 
There's a class coming up in the spring called Perspectives. And if, if this has resonated in you, I think you'll love the Perspectives class. It's a pretty big commitment. It's 15 weeks, but would encourage you, check out perspectives.org and take the next step in understanding God's heart for the nations. If you're interested in a vision trip, we just extended the deadline. You, got, you, you can go on a trip this winter break and put your toe in the water and experience the nations. And you can email Marty Scott at Grace Bible or you can come talk to me. Marty will probably be in the back right after this. If you're like, man, I would love to just go on a short-term trip this winter break and just experience this. Experience taking this gospel into a new culture. Talk to us. We'd love to help you. And then for those of you that are like, hey, I'm, I'm ready to take a commitment. There's summer missions, a six-week opportunity in the summer, but then also... I'm praying, I pray almost every week, I step into the back and pray over you that many of you would tithe your life at least to the nations. That you would say, I will give a minimum of seven years to the nations that entire people groups might worship Jesus. And I just unapologetically ask you to just pray and just ask God with freedom. There's no varsity and JV in the kingdom of God, but with freedom, just say, God, do you want me to tithe my life to an unreached people group? I personally would love to talk to you if that's what God's doing in your heart. So I just want to close tonight by, or this, not tonight, this morning, this afternoon, by just asking you to pray in your seat. And just start by just thanking God for this incredible gospel that's yours. I hope it grew in value. And then would you just ask God, would you just start by asking God, God, could, could you, do you desire for me to change my plans that more might encounter this incredible gospel? So would you just spend a few minutes praying and let's worship Jesus.